Welcome to Brain Pain, where we explore the vast world of psychology. I'm your host, John. I need to remind you that I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a PsyD student working on my PhD in psychology. And these are my opinions. I do encourage you, however, if you are struggling or have some questions about what's going on uh, in your mind, to seek some therapy from a professional licensed therapist. So today we're going to talk about Memorial Day in the United States. I say it that way because I happen to know there's at least one or two international listeners which I'm very grateful for everyone who takes the time to listen to me as I talk about psychology. So Memorial Day, why is it a big deal? What does it have to do with psychology? Well, I am a Navy veteran, United States Navy, fought in the Gulf War. I'm very honored to have had the opportunity to serve. And that's why I try to remind people that this is not Veterans Day, This is Memorial Day. And the difference is that we are remembering those who are fallen for our country, not just those who served. So this is the day to remember those who gave their lives for freedom and for the the cause of the United States of America. Um, Those of us who served, especially who served with other forces in the uh, world, We also remember fallen brethren from other countries who served. We served, I had the the honor of serving with uh, the Australian Navy, as well as the British Navy. Some really, really good guys. Uh, They were fortunate because they were allowed to have beer on their ship. We were not. So it was always nice when you'd been out to sea for a really long time to get the opportunity to visit one of their ships because they had a few beers for you. In human institutions, we have ceremonies. They take on different shapes and forms, and I think they're important. I think that one of the reasons we have some of the issues we are facing in our society today are a result of the lack of ceremony. Now, ceremonies we have as social constructs such as marriages. We have rites of passage in some cultures. Often we have started to use in the United States the graduation from high school as a substitute for a right to adulthood. This comes along with the idea that uh, there's a big push to be gender neutral, but the truth is that uh, traditionally there used to be rite of passage into manhood, and uh, the same for women into womanhood. You see remnants of it, especially in Latino communities, with the females having a quinceanera. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but that's her you know, passage into womanhood. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's really the, the gist of it. There's a, hey, now you have adult responsibilities. The good thing about that is it delineates your childhood from your adulthood. You know that you are now responsible as an adult. The need for ceremony in Memorial Day is cultural, and it may be 
has lost some of the luster it had with our instant gratification, digital, online, everything's available all the time, society. I'm going to talk about the diet side of it, but follow me for a second to see the, the relationship. It used to be that most households did not have a lot of sugar. And so you did not have sugar or sweet things on a regular basis. It was for special celebrations and holidays. And so people would make cakes and pastries. And you would have those at specific times, and they were a treat. Unlike today, where you can simply stop while you're putting gas in your car and get Hostess Twinkies and snack cakes and all kinds of sugar-filled goo as just part of your normal day. So ceremony used to be a big deal because it tied into sugar, but for other reasons as well. <laughs> the celebrations, the ceremonies were a big deal and it was a big event. It was a big social event. So a Memorial Day parade was a big deal. Uh, it was joyous and solemn at the same time. You're celebrating your freedom and you're showing your thankfulness to those who went before and gave their lives. And this is important because it shows the young men as they grow up that even if you sacrifice yourself for your country, you will not be forgotten. They will remember you every year and they will celebrate the freedom that you granted them by sacrificing yourself. You get to be a hero. This is how you reinforce the idea of being able to protect your tribe, be able to protect your country. So there's a psychological aspect to it. Recently, this has become much more complicated because people don't go stand in lines like they used to to watch big parades. Currently, we have COVID-19 where we are social distancing, which is really not social distancing, by the way. It's physical distancing. So the physical distancing uh, may have put a big damper on parades and the like, much of many of which are not celebrated like they used to be. It used to be a big deal to have a parade. And in some areas it still is. We are so used to such huge pageantry that most parades fail in comparison to what we see on YouTube or watching a movie. And we lose the special nature of that community coming together to remember those who served from the community. Especially in the large cities. We just know inherently and anecdotally, but if I live in a city of 2,000 people, I'm going to know a lot of them. If I live in a city of over 2 million people, I know almost none of them. And therefore, going to a parade or any large event is not as personal or as communal. Although that can be different, in cases like New York, when people see themselves as New Yorkers, as part of a bigger family of a geographic region. But we have a need for ceremony, and I think that we forget this. We think, oh, i got to go get dressed up for the wedding, and I'm going to go sit there and watch these two get married, and uh, or I'm going to go, I guess I'll go down and watch the parade, and it'll be okay. Because we forget what the real purpose of this is, what our part is, if we're not active participants. It is important for ceremony 
have witness. And not one or two. The idea of having ceremony requires as many witnesses as possible so that the ceremony is documented in the psyche of individuals. And then, and sometimes bearing witness means more than we understand, especially in a collective. To get back on the track of the Memorial Day celebrations, whether we grill out, which is very common because it's the beginning of summer, whether we go to a parade, whether you're involved in a veterans group. And if you are a witness, you're serving an important part of that ceremony. Now, I always wondered as a kid why we would celebrate on Memorial Day once I understood that it was about people who had died serving our country. Until I realized, well, when I got older, and I realized as someone who served in the military, someone who uh, did go to combat, that when I die, I don't want people to mope around. I want them to celebrate life, and I want them to be happy. And, and I would like to believe that at least most of the people who have served feel the same way. Those who gave their lives would want people to celebrate their freedoms and live the life, their best life, that they can to honor that sacrifice. And therefore have a celebration and celebrate that gift that was given by those who went and sacrificed themselves for our freedom. On a side note, something I was having a conversation about freedom and people who served. I have a number of friends who um, we get into very deep conversations about anything, including race. And it struck me that in World War II, there were a number of black units that served in World War II and who went willingly. Now think about this. You had a group of people who were second-class citizens, or treated as such, who went and served and risked their lives for the good of this country, knowing they would come back and be treated as second-class citizens. And we, all we can believe is that they understood what this country could be. And so they gave their lives so that their children had a chance to make this country a better place. I'm not going to argue the details of uh, racial conflict in the United States today, but it's just an idea that we really should pay attention to those who gave their lives that were coming back and not getting the full uh, benefits of being an American citizen. Memorial Day also brings up some complications about people who went and served and became veterans and the high suicide rate associated with that. And I'm not going to beat that drum about uh, about it because I think most of the people who are listening to this are probably aware, maybe not. Big thing with the suicide rate is this is still a casualty of war. People who have gone and served and they come back from serving in some really difficult situations, some pretty horrific situations, and then have mental challenges, mental illness, uh, PTSD. Um, 
all the other complications that come with having to do some really, really tough jobs. When they don't recover, that's still a casualty and a sacrifice uh, made to our, for our country. Obviously, I don't want to glamorize it. I want to reduce it as much as possible. And so I want to talk about a little bit about some of the reasons that these individuals do not seek help. Now, it's anecdotal just to say, oh, well, they're being tough guys and they don't want to ask for help. And that's a shorthand for it, for a lot of it. It goes a little deeper. And there's a, there was a, a good article that got me thinking in psychology today about why people fear compassion. Um, they did a study with, uh, about 200 people who were diagnosed with some kind of disorder, uh, social anxiety disorder, general anxiety disorder, or obsessive compulsive disorder and why they would have fear of compassion. Now it boils down to a couple basic things, but the biggest one is trust. They don't trust that someone will be there to help them and continue to be there to help them. And this is a complex, this is a complex development. It's not just that they have been burned in the past, but often people feel that because they are struggling, they are not worth someone else's time and effort. And since they're not worth someone else's time and effort, they don't trust that they will stick around to help them. They don't want to be a burden feel as if they have failed. They're dealing with these challenges that they cannot overcome by themselves and they have to seek outside help. Whereas, especially in the military, the idea is that you are part of a team, but you carry your weight. Not to carry your weight is to fail the men or women around you that depend on you to be part of the team so that the team can succeed. All I can say is that that compassion needs to be in a form that they can understand. And that can vary from person to person. A lot of the military types, they don't trust what, what one might call the soft approach compassion. They don't trust someone who says, oh, well, I understand it, it, that you're really struggling and, and I want to help you. What they understand is, all right, what do you need? Let's get moving. That's me telling you that, that I care, right? I care about you. Let's go. Let's get, let's get through this. Let's find a task. Let's, let's get goal oriented. And even though some things like this, you can't really go, let's go get goal, goal oriented because it's not that simple. The language used can make a big difference. How did we get to the point where we have mental illness, we have suicidal ideation as a veteran, and we are afraid to ask for help. I often think about this because on the teams I was on, if I'm carrying my weight or trying to carry my weight and I'm struggling, I asked for help. So did my teammates. This is very common throughout the military. And yet, when it comes to personal feelings where we might be perceived as weak, we might be perceived as not carrying our weight, we hesitate to ask for help. 
I've been guilty of it in the past. Trying to deal with something by myself emotionally. And then one day going, why, why don't I just talk to somebody? I'll talk to my buddy David. He may not understand, and he'll tell me he doesn't understand, but he'll listen. Might make fun of me a little bit, but it, not really hardcore, because he still loves me, and I know that. So I, I, I understand being there, but I don't know how I got there. So I started thinking about it. I wanted to boot camp when I was 17. The average age of enlistment currently is 21. Now we know that the human brain on average doesn't fully develop until 25. This is why a vast majority of enlisted recruits are focused on right out of high school. There's a number of people who don't want to spend the money on school because they don't know what they want to do yet. And they don't want to work on a labor job and they don't want to work at a, uh, as a cashier and they don't, they want to go do something, but they don't know what. So they join the military to try some things out. And that's kind of where I was. I was not wanting to pay for school because it was too expensive. And I figured I'd get some training have some time traveling the world a little bit and then go back to the civilian world. Now let's start at 17. What the military is very good at is taking a large number of people and conditioning them to obey and perform tasks that when, co- when coordinated accomplish an end goal. When I was in boot camp, when I was in uh, serving on a ship, I saw a lot of inefficiencies. I thought, oh, there's so much money if you add this all up. And there's so many things that, yes, it was inefficient in some aspects. But when you looked at it from a, a macro level, from a high level, you had incredible things happening. When I think about what it takes for a small ship to function, a small warship, which is what I was on. The 300-man crew had to work as a team. They had to, there were so many things that had to happen in the right order at the right time over and over again, 100% of the time, to be efficient. And we were. And we, But that was a result of conditioning. That was a result of repetitive training. And that's what we did. What I did not realize at the time also was that I got an incredible education in electronics. When I got into the civilian world, I was able to translate that into a pretty respectable living, doing something that was worthwhile, in my case, repairing uh, medical equipment. And for the number of people that the military deals with, it's really rather impressive and it's more efficient than I realized. I'm not going to argue the, the $700 hammer and the budgeting. I'm just going to say that for what they do and what they try to accomplish, it's actually pretty amazing at the results. But what are they doing, really? They're taking young men and women who have not had a fully developed brain, and they're conditioning them to be the type of person that they want, that will do the job, that will be reliable, that will follow orders, 
that will serve their country. And don't think that that's an accident, that they get them, a vast majority of them, before they're 25. They know what they're doing. Then they use quite a bit of behavioralist training. In other words, they reward good behavior and they punish bad behavior. And the rewards are often symbolic. The sense of accomplishment when someone receives the awards, when someone overcomes some great challenge, that helps form the behavior that the, that the military needs. You practice over and over and over for every contingency that they're aware of. That they're aware of. And they teach you how to approach situations that you had never expected to encounter. Doesn't mean everyone's successful, obviously, but it it gives you coping tools for those types of things. What it does not do is give you coping tools for the aftermath when you've been through traumatic experiences. And one of the big things, I think I've talked about it before when I did a Veterans Day podcast, is that they found out that the, the way that transportation has improved and sped up has actually had a negative effect on combat veterans that are coming home after being in some serious combat, seeing some horrible things, experiencing the trauma of combat. In World War II, it took you a month or longer to get home because you had to be on a ship that was not very fast going across the Atlantic Ocean. And you were with all this, all these guys who had also been in combat, and you were able to talk it out and basically have unofficial group therapy sessions where you worked through emotions and processed things and had a transition from this place of combat and people dying and horrible, horrible things to the United States in the mid to late 1940s, right? Vietnam, you're in the jungle in combat fight watching your buddy die, you get on a helicopter and you're home in 72 hours. Dropped off and discharged. And you've got to make that transition just spot on the moment. Well, it doesn't doesn't happen that way. That's why they have debriefings now when people come back from uh, deployment. They, they take them to a base and they give them some time to decompress and uh, then move them back. And it, it, it's important because it helps reduce the number of people who are suffering from PTSD or as they called it back in the day, shell shock. Because they get to process all that trauma. And I think there's also a greater awareness now for veterans of the assistance that they can get. It doesn't mean they'll take advantage of it but at least they're more aware of it. And as we talk about it more, civilians and their families who love them are more aware of it and can help them get help and can support them in their most trying times after experiencing the trauma of combat. 
Now, I know I spent a lot of time talking about that, but I really believe that those are the the combat casualties that we don't really count as combat casualties. And we need to start thinking of them in that manner. The people that are coming back and can't cope and can't find peace. When they succeed in committing suicide, they're another combat casualty. I say, remember those who've gone before us. I say, remember those and their ceremonies that we need to be thankful that we have the freedoms we have. And remember that there's a price for everything. And then enjoy your weekend and celebrate life. And if you need help or you're struggling, let someone know. Just give somebody a chance to help you. All right. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. Rock on.